the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash the like. Come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Rocking and rolling since well before we got started here at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on a Monday. Mondays are busy. Listen. We got a lot that we have built into this show and that we love to be able to do as we dive in with the Upon Further Review episode. We will have Upon Further Review continuing to clean out the notebook from week six. We will have Poll Assassin where we are going into the AP Top 25. We're looking at not just the movements, but some you know interesting rankings decisions. And coming up in just a little bit, we are so fired up. Brand new segment. All I'm going to say for right now is that if you enjoyed the tale of Day Trade and Danny, boy, he's got something for you. But uh, we begin with, uh, again, one of the great things about Lincoln up here is that when something happens during the instant reaction show, we can only you know give literally like what the chat can tell us, you know what we're able to dig up quickly. And so it is only now that we have the comments after the game from Miami head coach Mario Cristobal. And we have uh, more information coming out of what was an, an absolute blunder, and both on the sideline and also on the field. Cam Kitchens, don't let him get behind you. Yeah, no timeouts in 26 seconds, and you're still going to get all those yards and that touchdown? Anyway. First round, huh? <laughs> Look, and uh, – I, I do hate it for him because I do think he's a really good player. And a lot of people around there have talked about him as kind of a heart and soul of the defense. And like, that's a, that's a, I, I don't know if it's a brain fart moment or like however you want to define it, but like you, that was an awful mistake. Still, he's not the one who's being paid millions upon millions of dollars to be able to make those decisions. And if the instruction comes in that you kneel the ball, doesn't even get put on Cam Kitchens uh, at his feet. Danny, what were your thoughts? You know, let's take take us through everything, including you know, as you passed along, you know, Mario Cristobal even trying to to discuss this decision in the wake of it. Oh man, um, 
It's embarrassing. I honestly was like you guys trying to figure out what the thought process was. I thought Tim Hasselbeck did a great job on the call because he was on it before it happened, before the collapse. He's like, why aren't they kneeling? Like, what, what's happening? What are we watching? He doesn't have to take the snap. He doesn't have to do anything. He calls it out. And then, of course, you have the fumble. And I get the review, showed the elbow down. But at that point, it's like karma is happening. Like, you choose to challenge the football gods. It's going to come back to get you. Um, so Ario was on after the game. I thought it was a very weak response. Like he just kind of limped in and was like, Hey, mistake was made. And then he was like, we should have knelt." like, and just kind of like really glossed he, over it. Yeah. Well, he kind of blamed the kid though in yeah. South Florida, which is what he does down here with Joe Rose, my guy, Joe Rose, known him forever. Got my start in broadcasting at five sixty QAM. He does the weekly interview. I listened to it. Usually it's about 15 minutes. I think it was seven or eight. Mm. And credit to Joe Rose, who was, I mean, it is their flagship station, but it's the question that has to be asked. And so Mario tried the first time. He's like, mistakes were made. We should have knelt. Let's move on. And Joe Rose is like, well, let's go back to him just a little bit further in detail. And you could tell that Mario is just still fuming over this. What I can't decipher, is he fuming at himself? Is he fuming at staff? Is he fuming at being the joke of college football right now? All of it, which he deserves. Like, is is it a stat thing? Because there's a lot of videos out there. Every other game they had a lead, Texas A&M, Bethune, like whatever it was, they don't kneel on it. Um, It's like they don't. At the end of, I forget what practice it was, but almost every team I've been on, it's like a Friday, kind of a feel-good day. You know what you do? You work on victory formation. Like you just, just so everybody's lined up right because you got the two up backs. You want to make sure everybody's on the line of scrimmage. You got everything checked out. And it's like, hey, hey, victory formation. I guess they don't practice it or they don't have it, but like that's their version of it. The only thing, like the best part of victory formation, is that you get the victory, and in this case, they didn't. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. There's no way to sugarcoat it. The uh, one problems I had with it was he he blamed, basically blamed the kid in the post game interview. Like he didn't own it. He didn't take responsibility for it. He said, "Yeah, we, we coached two hands on the ball. Like you coached one knee on the ground." Right. That's what <laughs> but like they do them from shotgun. So there's a piece of me that says they don't want the minus five rushing yards well, or minus six rushing yards, which is ridiculous. I, but I do think it might be in the conversation. I, I think that they were trying to get the back over 100 yards. Yeah, he was at 99. And Paris he had come back off a pretty serious injury. Yeah. And it was like he had not had a 100-yard career game. And Mario's kind of like big dumb, big dumb caveman football, man. That's just we don't toughness, toughness recruiting. Like it's, I mean, he's kind of like Miami's Orgeron in some ways, right? Like really, really good at recruiting, consistently great at botching in-game situations. That's what the guy is. Like, look at the track record at Oregon. It, so, like, they haven't beaten an ACC team at home yet. I know. Oh, and five. I saw that in Manny Navarro's article at the Athletic afterwards because yeah. he wrote a really scathing sort of, you know, picking this apart. Um, you know, Tom Barry Lee- Jackson ripped him too. Did you see that? Barry Jackson covered yeah. him for like 30 years, and it was like, man, Mario needs to be more concerned about not being a terrible in-game coach and less concerned about his assistants saying positive things to the media in the offseason. Like he doesn't keep the main thing the main thing.
Oh yeah, he he got it was like he, sending, he got after. Yeah, he got sent. It was something along the lines of uh, less concerned with sending emails to report or sending emails to your staff telling them not to talk to media. Mm. It's uh, it's kneeling is for. Sissies. I would have rather I would have rather had him say we were trying to get an individual guy uh, in hundred yards. That to me would have been more acceptable than just saying we should have kneeled like it was it was botched like by us. I would have rather had him just be honest. What? Tom? Dumb. I, I feel like I said it all on Saturday night. Dumb. So, stupid. Dumb. Dumb. Stupid. Why has Miami beaten right an ACC team at home? Well, okay, they're the oh, fans don't show up to most of the games, right? So they literally don't have much of a home. Like, like we joke about it, but it's true. ESPN very rarely shows the wide crowd shot, but occasionally on a big play, like the replay forces them to do it, and the stands are more than fifty percent empty for a lot of these home games. The fans don't show up. They'll show up for Florida State. They did show up a decent bit of them, actually, for AM. Uh, this Georgia Tech game was the Publix buy one, get one. This was the BOGO game. I don't know if you guys have Publix up there in Chicago, Tom, but Publix is like a major grocery chain down south, and they do BOGO buy one, get one a lot. And uh, this was the BOGO game. So if you bought the, uh, the AM ticket, you got this ticket free uh, to go to Georgia Tech. And the stands were still pretty empty. So I, I do think Miami has a, uh, a kind of a negative home field advantage at home in the non-big games. And we've seen this prove out. Uh, so, like, you, you can you can show the, the work on it with the math. So I think no, that's was, part of it. They also I think it's mostly that just Miami hasn't been very good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it's oh, again, I was saying 0-5, oh small sample set. But mm. it sucks they have to get back on the bus and go 45 minutes back to their <laughs> campus after that loss, though. Like, that couldn't have been a fun bus ride. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, it's it really the reality, good. though, of that fan base. Even if they, I mean... They're they were undefeated. They're in the conversation. It's just a very spoiled fan base that is a lot of like that's not a big school. So there's not like it's a, a front running fan base. It's yeah, a front it's running a front, town. Even when they're in front, they're still not going to go to a Georgia Tech game. Like they're also well, is it Florida State? Is it Notre Dame? Is it a brand? Then we'll go. But if it's Georgia Tech, we're a three touchdown favorite. It's ah, yeah, maybe it's in prime time, but um, I'll wait. I'll go to the next one because it's not convenient for everybody. Anybody. Like, because yeah. the student, it's not in a great location like Broward County. There's a lot of hurricanes, but it's far for them. Miami, it's not close to. It's just you're playing an NFL stadium, and that's what Mario tries to pitch, but it's a horrible pitch. There was a picture that went out that, of their like recruiting section, and it was like a big recruiting weekend. So they had a bunch of players like jammed in like cattle uh, behind these ropes, and it was like the only thing that was crowded because the stadium was empty. The sidelines were empty like before the game, and it just it just fell flat. I mean, I can't believe that Tom pointed out the the great moment of all this is that uh, nothing sums up the Mario Cristobal era better than them landing a big blue chip wide receiver right after a awful on field loss. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's Miami. That's what you're going to deal with. Who was tweeting about how Georgia doesn't throw the ball to its receivers, so they just throw it to the tight end, and then he committed to Miami. He, he was a Georgia commit. I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking of your Curry Smart. You're like. Yeah, not gonna yeah. miss him. Yeah, you take. You, like you, he's, take he's a t- you know he's a really really nice receiver, but also yeah. um uh I don't want to be the one to put uh, continue to add salt into this wound, but I did notice that uh, a Miami football team did finish the game with a kneel this weekend. Yep, it was the Dolphins in, in the same stadium? In the same state, they, they if you want to know how to do a victory formation in Hard Rock, uh, Tua Iloa and the Dolphins showed you how to do that uh, on Sunday. All right. 
every single um, every single Monday, we like to gather together. And of course, as we sit here three weeks away from Halloween, we want you to always be aware for safety. It is a very, very important night. On that note, let's take a look at the new rankings in Pole Assassin. So the Oklahoma Sooners are up to number five in the new AP Top 25 after that win against the Texas Longhorns and the Red River rivalry. So I wanted to at least get that started with when you're looking at Oklahoma at this point, if you were filling out a ballot, how does that Oklahoma resume stack up to the other best teams in the country? Because I think there is an argument that individually that win against Texas might be one of the best wins in the entire country so far. I think it stacks up pretty well. Right. I mean, look, oh, you could tell me that you have Oklahoma, and just depending on how you evaluate teams, like really anywhere from like first to eighth, and I really wouldn't have a major problem with it, right? Like it, depending on how good you think some of their opponents have been, uh, how much you value running up the score like they have against some of these bad teams, you know, who was playing quarterback for some of the teams they played, how much you value the, the Texas win, right? Are you doing a power rating? Are you doing more of a resume rating? Are, are you doing a blend? How much do you factor in your preseason poll priors? Which honestly should be zero, but everybody has some level of bias. Otherwise, you, you really can't make determinations on teams, right? Like, how do we know if anybody is good if we don't have something at least to start with? I, I think five's entirely fair, right? And for Oklahoma, it's going to be, do you run the table? Because one loss to Oklahoma is not going to make the playoff. And let, well, mm-hmm. I guess they could lose they could lose regular season and beat Texas again and still be conference championship go. If they lose to Texas in a rematch, they will not make the playoff because the non-conference schedule was atrocious and the rest of the Big 12 this year looks poor. Like Oklahoma cannot go to the playoff this year, I'm fairly sure, based on my numbers, if they do not win the Big 12. I think they can afford a loss. Um, yeah, but, I know. but can the loss beat the Texas in the Big 12 championship game? Yeah, I mean, TCU lost to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game last so that year. That would be two Big 12 teams in? No, I don't think Texas would get in at that point. Texas. You don't think conference champion one loss Texas gets in over over non champ one loss Oklahoma? Oh, okay, yeah. Assuming Texas is a one loss champ at that point, yes, maybe. But I don't know if Texas is going to be a one loss champion at that point. That's um, fair. I I agree with you in that there are a number of different spots you could put Oklahoma, and there's certainly defensible. I think five. I mean, we talked about it on Saturday night. We thought Oklahoma would jump into the top five, and they did. They did not get any first place votes though, and I I I was surprised. I thought they'd get at least one. Me but too. They, yeah, but they didn't. But I, I'm fine with them at five. I'd be fine with them at four. I'd be fine with them at three, two, one, six, seven, eight. I mean, they're they're a good team. I don't know that they're a great team, but that was a huge win for them. What else stood out um, from the new reset AP Top 25? Uh, so I'll give you guys a little behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So Jack, our buddy Jack, produces HQ shows for us. He wants me to come on to react to Dennis Dodd's power rankings, which are pretty similar and I asked Jack in the email because he's like, thoughts? And I put a couple like, hey, where this team is ranked, this team, that. And I said, can I ask Dennis if he's smoking crack because <laughs> of where he has Kentucky? And I would ask the same question to the AP voters who still have Kentucky in their top 25. Like, in what world, like, what was the positive that you took away from? Is from Kentucky the getting poached in the Big 12? And, or like, are we still going back to the Florida game, which still like that's okay. It was a win at home where you ran all over a team that's not very good. 
Like, I just don't understand the thinking of having Kentucky still ranked because there really isn't a signature win. But you did play Georgia, who's number one. So credit for scheduling them or having them in your division, I guess. That's <laughs> simply being a division <laughs> foe. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I'm with you. Like, I think if you look at, like, Missouri fell out. Missouri played in a closer game against LSU and lost, and they fall out. Kentucky got obliterated, and they get to stick in. They have similar resumes, except nobody blew the doors off Mizzou like Kentucky got its doors blown off. I think Mizzou deserves to be ranked more, far more often, or far more than Kentucky does. 100% agree. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't rank either of them. Well, yeah, I would. I mean, I would rank Air Force ahead of them. I would rank. Yeah, I, there's a few teams I would have in there that aren't in there over there. Or Wyoming. Wyoming just Game had you. a great win over Fresno, <laughs> and they played Texas all right. Like they played Texas more competitively than Kentucky played for, uh, Georgia. I I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I tweeted it yesterday. Wyoming is five and one with a point differential of plus fifteen. <laughs> It's, yeah, like they, it's, they, Wyoming it's not is sustainable. Yeah, Wyoming is five and one, and we should celebrate it right now because if you believe that water finds its level, the fact that you're getting <laughs> these bananas games against Texas Tech and App State, um, you know this it it, it might. It might get a little bit uh, hairy for the Cowboys coming down the stretch, but if you if they were to maintain this with your only loss as Texas, that's a New Year's Six profile. Yes. If they are able to maintain this the rest of the way. Wyoming has a better loss than or a better resume than Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> Think about mm-hmm. it. Like Wyoming went on the road to play a top five team in Texas and did not get destroyed. Kentucky went on the road to play a top five team in Georgia and got absolutely blitzed. Wyoming it, was it at also, home in that game. Wyoming was not at home was not at home at Texas. It was at Lar- was that wasn't that game in Laramie? No, the game wow. at Texas. Oh, that's right. That was at Texas. I'm sorry. It was on Longhorn Network. It doesn't exist in my <laughs> oh, correct. Like, this, this is facts. Texas Tech had to go to Laramie. Texas Tech went to Laramie. Yeah. I got confused there. For Wyoming me. beat App. What? Wyoming beat Texas Tech. Wyoming beat Fresno. All Kentucky has is Florida, which I mean, Florida's not that much better than than Texas Tech. If they are better, I, I think they probably are. But I don't know that for a fact, right? Like Wyoming has a better resume than Kentucky. The only reason Kentucky's ranked is the SEC, which had a terrible non-conference year. They've got there's there is some I mean as uh as Florida continues to just sort of you know linger Exist. yeah in this space where they have a win over Tennessee so then it you know that they get tied together it, it'll all get undone once a, a few more losses get handed out here in conference play but I I'm disappointed but I understand why that math gets a little bit tricky for the AP voters. Louisville surprised oh go ahead oh sorry go ahead Chip. I was going to say Louisville up 11 spots to number 14 kind of felt like a, a validation, you know, like we, we weren't going to take, not we, the AP voters were not taking Louisville seriously based on the competition that it had had, even some of the close results, like in the Georgia tech game, you have a zero in the loss column in the, after the first weekend of October, you're going to take the fast track. I was a little interested that Notre Dame while now five and two did drop pretty significantly down 11 spots even behind duke did that seem like a fair readjustment they get worse every week like the best notre dame team we've seen was in ireland then they were a little bit worse against ohio state a little bit worse against duke and then they were terrible this weekend against louisville like they they're going in the wrong direction they're not getting better they're getting worse i i totally understand the drop i have a question this was uh, actually from the cover three tailgate 
jumped in at 8.34 a.m. Andrew says, do you guys think Notre Dame is going to implode now that they are out of playoff contention? They have USC this week, road game at Clemson later in the year, Pitt, Wake Forest, Stanford. What are the thoughts on Notre Dame in terms of looking at the Fighting Irish moving forward? Are they going to be able to steady this ship and finish as a 9-10 win team? Does 8-4 and four count as an implosion? What was their win total? Nine and a half? I think it was eight and a half. No way. It was eight and a half. Vegas was not on was not smoking the same stuff Irish fans were. Let's just say that. We're just crack references, you know, smoking <laughs> just all over the place today. <laughs> Vegas was not on that good green that uh that, that Notre Dame had all, all throughout the offseason. Uh, I would, I don't yeah. I don't think there's an implosion like your coach is getting fired and you see the team quit. Um, I think there's pretty good makeup of this team. Sam Hartman, I think, you know, as a veteran, he's going to want to play hard and try to encourage people. As a, He's going to try to increase his draft stock. But I also just think in general, I think the people that might have had this team as a playoff contender were just wrong. And this is probably the reality of what this team was. I mean, the odds makers had it pegged right around where it's probably going to be at the end is around eight or nine wins. So I think that's probably what we should have all expected. Do you think Sam Hartman has hurt his draft stock by going to Notre Dame? No. I think if his draft stock was all that good to begin with, he'd already be in the NFL. Do you think he'll be drafted? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sixth, fifth, sixth round, seventh, you know. Brock Purdy. (laughs) Yeah. Last pick of the draft. I think Sam Hartman will be drafted too. Uh, I think it depends too on how the season finishes. Like how does he finish? I will say, though, going back to Louisville, I understand that the resume, like Ole Miss has the win over LSU. Louisville now has the win over Notre Dame. If you look at them, they're right next to each other in the polls. Notre Dame's 21, LSU's 22. They both lost two games. But why is Ole Miss ahead of Louisville? Like, it also has a loss, which Louisville does not yet. SEC. But Ole Miss also struggled with the Tulane backup. Yeah. I just right. Like, uh, can we please get over this love for Ole Miss? Like, I don't know why the voters love this team so much. I think this is where the preseason polls come in because you set your bias and you don't want to back off of it. Right, Louisville didn't start anywhere on the map, so it takes them longer to get more credit. Ole Miss started there, so you're like, "Ooh, I thought they were good coming to the season." Oh man, that loss against Bama looks better now that Bama won at AM. Like you just find yourself explaining it away. And to Bud's point, like most of the times, the preseason perception around the SEC teams is stronger so that they don't drop as far. Hey, Ole Miss is a top five win for the SEC this year, beating two lanes back up on the road. I think I had that as my number three non conference win for the league. I mean, look, Louisville has a better resume than Ole Miss, clearly. They also have a better resume than USC by far. Think about it. Like, why, why are they behind USC? Just preseason stuff and Caleb, right? Like, do we think Louisville has a better resume than than Ohio State? No, no. Ohio I mean, State's they, got the Notre Dame. I know that we're. I know you're. So you're Louisville, and, and Louisville, smoke, Louisville beat them a hell of a lot worse than Notre Dame than yeah, Ohio but, State but did. Ohio State beat them at Notre Dame. And By it was three, and Notre Louisville Dame was up. Louisville was up three touchdowns with like four minutes to go. Uh, yeah, but does Louisville have a better win than Maryland after Notre Dame? I think that's that's what we're arguing, right? The disparity in the quality of win versus the rest of the resume. Mm-hmm. Also, just being like a human about this, a, there is a non-zero percentage of the outcome of Louisville Notre Dame that is a credit to Ohio State and Duke. Mm-hmm. 
You know, sure. just like the the Notre Dame team. You mentioned they're getting worse every week. The Notre Dame team that uh, showed up in the artist that used to be Cardinal Stadium was not <laughs> as like primed and playing as well, especially defensively, as the one that played against Ohio State two weeks ago. So, yeah. You mentioned USC, though, which brings up one of the thing about the poll this week that I really enjoy. Just a fun little fact, because we do criticize voters for, you know, team wins, go up or stay, lose, go down. No, no real thought past that. You just kind of slide them around. USC has fallen in the poll this week for the third straight week, despite not losing a game yet. They've gone from five to eight to nine. I'm cool with that. No, yeah, I'm saying I'm just giving the voters credit. Like, it's like. Oh, hey, we're actually watching this team and we'll realize, yeah, it's not that good. We're going to slide it down. North Carolina has a better resume than USC. And I don't think it's really close. Ooh. Let's see. All right. They blew out Syracuse, which is, I think, pretty clearly a better team than Colorado. They played app close. They blew out South Carolina. So that's two better wins than anything I, I think that USC has. Uh, they, as we mentioned, who else did they play? Oh, they beat Minnesota, which is mm-hmm. a hell of a lot better than most of the teams that USC has played. I, North Carolina to me has a much better resume than USC. I don't disagree, mm. but they're in the ACC, and you know that conference stinks. <laughs> <laughs> they can't even kneel the ball to win games in the ACC. <laughs> Listen, you don't, you don't really go through the meat grinder that is facing teams like Georgia Tech on a week-in, week-out basis, right? <laughs> you don't understand what happens when Kyron Drones starts dropping these dimes on you and making making our championship contenders really sweat all the way to the very end. What you're saying is the only reason Bowling Green was able to beat Georgia Tech was because it didn't have to go through the meat grinder of the ACC first. Did, did, did Bowling Green's offense have Georgia Tech signals? Maybe. Whoa. <laughs> no, no. I like this is complete speculation on my part. Okay. But it, it is right. I don't think it's unjustified. And we need to kill some time until Danny Day Trader comes back. Um uh, so Georgia Tech made a change at defensive coordinator before this Miami game and looks pretty okay on defense relative to how Miami's offense had been looking going into the game. Um they didn't score a single point, I think, on Miami, Ohio. Miami, Ohio shut them out. Is that right? I don't know. They were dominating them pretty late in the game. I I need to check what the final was. And and look, Miami, Ohio plays some really good defense for the MAC under Joe Bowen, who's a pretty good coach. You know, I I knew him when he coached for Norvell. Uh, But man, like, how do you go from scoring 38 on Georgia Tech in Atlanta to zero against Miami, Ohio? Like, and Bowling Green had really not looked like that on offense in any other game. So it makes me wonder, like, did they know something on Georgia Tech? And immediately thereafter, they make a make a coordinator change. I don't know. It's that's not just, up to the standard. Such a weird result. The, the the quote from Brent Key is that it wasn't up to the standard, and I guess the standard was <laughs> you're broadcasting the signals. <laughs> Again, I have no inside information. Like I'm not. I'm not. No, let's run to with it. Let's run with it. Bud no, Elliott reports no. that Bowling Green had. George have you noticed Bowling. more teams are using the you know like roll open privacy? Mm-hmm you know, things like sheets or whatever you call them. I mean, there's definitely, I think, was it OU Texas? I don't know if it was on one of the pregame shows or actually on the broadcast. They were talking about Brent Venables and the 
expertise, I think was the word they used of oh. what a great sign stealer he is, you know, mm-hmm. going back from his time at Clemson. And then they very quickly were like, well, it's legal if the other team doesn't do anything about it, you know? So they definitely, you know, I mean, it, it happens out there. Look, guys, this almost cost Florida State a national title game against Auburn. You can go back and pretty clear, like watch the TV copy, marry it up to the box score. Their yards per play tripled after the first drive of the second half when Kelvin Benjamin walks by Jimbo Fisher, Damian Craig, and says, hey, Auburn's calling out our signals. They put the towels up. They go from like 3.4 yards of play to like 9.6. And Auburn got zero stops the rest of the way. Like, I mean, this does happen. I reported on this back in 2013. Like, it happens a lot. I did think one thing was crazy was the uh, in the Georgia-Kentucky game, and it, the play didn't matter because – Georgia was killing him, but uh, Georgia's sheet, like sign ceiling stop sheet, was so large that you couldn't see the play hit the first down marker or not. So if they had to go to replay there and they didn't have another angle on it, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to do a replay because it was that's kind of the one you'd use. We would have had to put an asterisk on Georgia's entire yeah, season. Exactly. <laughs> we'll never know. Coming up on the other side, we teased it. We let you know it's a legend. A legend throughout America. The tales of Day Trade and Danny. And how, what Day Trade and Danny can help you with your college football portfolio. That and more. Next. All right. We got a nice little animation. We are privileged to bring you a new Monday segment. We call it Day Trade and Danny. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Hopefully my internet holds up. I got uh, too many monitors going. I'm watching the uh, foreign exchanges trading. I'm keeping an eye on Asia, see what their markets are doing. So it's slowing me down a little bit here with the uh, computer speed. Uh, all right. I'm going to start off. I'll start off with my buys. Okay, Who are you buying uh, on the quarterback market that's out there? I'm buying Jaden Daniels. So Jaden Daniels for LSU, two losses. I think he's been a little bit of an afterthought. Now, I would have loved to buy this before the Missouri game. Uh, when you had a chance to, because it like that game, he was once again really great. And I look at uh, Jaden Daniels like Tesla. Tesla's a stock that anytime there's a dip, you better buy it. Buy that dip when it comes. And Elon Musk is a little bit of Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, volatile leader. Like sometimes he's going to throw some of his employees under the bus, just like Elon does. Maybe doesn't take the best care of them. But when there is a dip, you know it's going to be good in the long term. I still think Jaden Daniels could win the Heisman. It'll come down to that game in Tuscaloosa against Bama, so I want to buy out Jaden Daniels before that one goes. Quinn Ewers. Uh, buy Quinn Ewers. You want to buy the dips, right? You want to buy the stocks when they're down, when they're getting hammered. Quinn Ewers, two interceptions, the fumble. The stat line was not great, but if you watched the game, which everybody I'm sure did to listen to our show, you saw a quarterback who was slinging it. He made some unbelievable throws and a big reason why they could have won had Sark not, um, you know, decided to get all conservative and get a little bit, uh, you know, clammed up a little bit late. So he's my West, West Texas crude uh, oil stock there. <laughs> a little bit volatile, but again, something that's going to be there over the long term. You want to buy it when you can. So give me that West Texas crude, Quinn Ewers. My last buy, Drake May. So again, another one would have liked to get it before the North Carolina, uh, the Syracuse game. But this is like the earnings report just came out, and it looked awesome. 
Like you're, you're blowing out the expected sales, your revenues, everything looks good. Drake May is about to take off to the moon. He's got Miami this weekend. His stats will start to catch up. Those are my three buys. Love it. Any, any, do you guys want the sells? Just keep going, or do you want to react to any of those? Any questions? I want to react to those? yours a little bit. Okay. Like, he still seems like a guy to me that ha- like, the arm is clearly there, but it does seem like everything has to be schemed up for him. Like he's very Tyler Van Dykish in that way, right? Like if, if it's on him to drop back and read it and it's not been schemed up for him, he struggles. Like it looks like Sark still has to kind of training wheels scheme everything for him. And it's like a training wheels bike that can go really, really fast. But I, I I don't see him going like through progressions a whole lot, which is fine. Like it's college football. A lot of coaches do this for him, you know, but I don't know. Like, does that Danny, does that worry you as far as like him taking the next step? Because when I watch it, it still seems like if Sark doesn't scheme it for him, it doesn't go real well. I want to go back and watch the all 22, like the coaches tape of the game. Cause I just saw the TV copy during the game. There were a couple nice, like get through your progressions. There was the one he tried to hit the swing past. I think it was Brooks and it was just overthrown, but like, it was like his third or fourth option. Another one, like he, like a lot of young quarterbacks almost relies too much on the Patrick Mahomes style. Like, yeah. Everything breaks down. Let me just find somebody to get it to. And that, you know, you can't coach that. But sometimes I think these players fall back into it. It's sort of bad habits. And he gets away with it. Um, But I'm thinking from the perspective of, like, these two teams, Oklahoma and Texas, should win out. Um, That's why also uh, Dylan Gabriel is a hold for me. Uh, And I'm assuming that everybody had him. I hope so. Because statistically, he was right up there, you know, tops in efficiency out in the country. But like you do, I don't think you'd want to buy Dylan Gabriel's now because the stock is all time high. He's plus six fifty now to win the Heisman. Mm. I think he'll be in that conversation. But get Quinn Ewers now, where I think he's like 24, 25 to one for the Heisman, because they're probably going to play each other again. And if Quinn Ewers cleans it up a little bit, like he's right there, he could steal it right back from Dylan Gabriel. The way it felt like Gabriel stole it from Quinn Ewers. Do you wonder if Ryan Day wishes he could buy Quinn Ewers stock right now? Or buy Quinn Ewers? Yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue because that's one of my sells, all right? (laughs) Kyle McCord, I am selling. Uh, Solar stocks were all the rage. It kind of depends on who's in office, you know, what sort of the the market's looking like. First, solar is how I would put Kyle McCord. That's a very volatile solar stock that's out there. (laughs) So I think some people might be surprised. Well, what happened? He had a pretty good game statistically against Maryland. If you watch the game, he does not have the same reaction time or the arm strength of the guys before him have. There were not one but two touchdowns that were big completions that were touchdowns left on the table. I'm going to get a, I'm going to sell Kyle McCord before that Penn State game comes up in 2 weeks because this offense still has a long ways to go to get to where it was. They're not running the ball at all. It's too much on him. And yes, he's got the weapons on the outside. I know he made the big throw against Notre Dame on you know third and 19 or whatever it was i'm selling it now while it's high getting out in front of it out on bo nix selling so bo nix is like microsoft like every portfolio manager is like oh i just gotta have a staple in there it's just gonna be solid but it's kind of boring like it's gonna be efficient you're gonna take every check down you're gonna make good decisions but i don't know if the upside is there plus on the road is where we know bo does not thrive uh, in his two years at Oregon, at home, he's got 26 touchdowns, two interceptions. On the road, it's 18 to six, including last season 12 to six touchdown interception ratio. 
he's not the best, so I'm going to sell Bo Nix before that game against Washington because I don't trust him on the road. All right, what about your holds? My other sell, one more sell, Brady Cook. Mizzou, incredible record. Like, congrats to you, but the schedule's about to get much tougher. Uh, I don't trust him in this spot. Uh, they go to Kentucky, South Carolina, at Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and Arkansas right before they're about to get in the thick of their SEC schedule. I'll sell off some Brady Cook stock as well. See, see I'd be I'd be selling I'd, or I'd be holding on to Cook until that Georgia game. Like the week before Georgia, I will sell. I think he's going to be just fine against South Carolina, Kentucky. Yeah. And my um, other both holds. Those secondaries are bad. The other holds that I have uh, besides Dylan Gabriel, Michael Penix, and Caleb Williams. Like, duh, if you don't have those guys in your ETF, then you should be fired as a portfolio manager. These comps are incredible. I'm so glad that we did this. I thank you for go, getting it in. Wait till we get. Wait till we get the pink sheets report. Wait till we go find them. Like, just, wait till we get those. Those are coming. A lot more where this came from. Were you behind GameStop? Were you the mastermind? <laughs> yeah, that one in uh, AMC. Oh yeah, AMC. Yeah, trading away the apes. I'm, I'm surprised you don't have Carson Beck on here. Like I, I think Carson Beck's playing as well as any quarterback in the country right now. I would put him probably in that. If you don't have him, you got to hold him. I would put it as a, a light buy, not a strong so, okay. buy. I had Michigan as my number one team in my like. I just released the, the poll that I do, and I got a lot of people who were like, "All right, where, where's Michigan better than Georgia?" I was like, "I actually think they're better than Georgia along the line of scrimmage so far this year." But everybody was like, a couple of Michigan fans were like quarterback, and I was like, I mean. Beck's not playing worse than McCarthy, guys. Like he's playing really, really well, protecting the football, high-level throws, getting rid of it, going through reads. It. I mean, Beck is playing coming up clutch. I mean, you know, Auburn road game, SEC, not being overwhelmed by the moment. You're right. I don't have Bet Rivers, but there's 200 to one on Carson Beck right now on that Georgia team, and I think he's got a better shot to win the Heisman than uh, than Brock Bowers does. The problem for JJ as far as perception wise is, and I talked, me and Chip were talking about this before the show, like Michigan is just coming out and shooting its opponent in the face from the very start. And the games are over within like two minutes. And there's absolutely no reason to keep watching. And it's like, everything is way too easy because they're killing everybody. So it's really hard. There, there are no, like the Heisman moments of like the, the QB making the big play when it matters to help his team win the game. That, Michigan hasn't needed any help winning a game yet because they're usually up by 20 with, you know, five minutes left in the first quarter. Yeah. I think that Michigan, Michigan will not be putting forth any individual for any individual awards. Right. I mean, there's just, no, they'll have a, they'll have like 10 all Americans, but they right. won't win any individual. And they'll award. have 14 NFL draft picks. Yeah. And they'll win. You know what they'll win? The Joe Moore award again. They're going to go <laughs> up there and they're going to win the Joe Moore award. And because I mean, it ain't going to be Notre Dame after the way that Louisville lit up them this past week. Um, so yeah, they're going to win the Joe Moore award and then have a bunch of all Americans and a bunch of NFL draft picks, but no Bolitnikoff, no Heisman, no Mackey. Maybe, I mean, is, is there any individual on that defensive line or defensive front who's going to end up looking at uh, any of those defi- no butt-kiss out there? Maybe. I, it's, they're, it's, there's, they have very good players, but there's nobody that really stands out as a superstar. They just, everybody's really good. Yeah. I mean, Grant, Grant and Jenkins are... Uh, Chris Jenkins. Yeah. And, yeah. and Kenneth Grant are, like, studs in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it's gonna be awesome. It's, it's Georgia-ish. It's but like I think it's better than what Georgia has this year. Oh, for sure. But I'm saying like the last couple of years, what they have in the middle of their defensive line is kind of Georgia-ish of the last few seasons. Michigan, by the way, overtook Georgia for the number one spot in the CBS Sports 133 this week, beat out the Bulldogs by one voting point. We'd been tracking this over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Last week was the first time all season. Georgia did not get a majority of the first place votes. And now some of those um, which had gone maybe to a Texas, uh, maybe elsewhere, are now filtering their way to the Wolverines. The Wolverines overtaking the Bulldogs, who heading into the season were a near-unanimous number one. Uh, Michigan, the new number one in the CBS Sports 133. You can check out those full rankings, one through 133, uh, over at cbssports.com. All right, every single Monday, we like to go under the hood. We call it a pun for the review. There were terrible calls. Do we want to go ahead and jump in? After further review. After further review. After further review. All right. Uh, I would like to uh, start with the team that is ruining my bedtime. All right. So upon further review, is USC ever going to have to Are they ever going to pay for this? Because in the triple overtime win against Arizona, the game that was ongoing as we were concluding uh, the instant reaction show, an hour and 40-minute instant reaction show that still did not reach the end of the (laughs) USC-Arizona game. And as we stayed up getting ready to potentially write our upset alerts on CBSSports.com and and all the content that would have come with the defeat, only to see the Trojans eke it out again, at some point, this is going to catch up with them. They've got a Notre Dame team on deck, but we've already discussed that Notre Dame team at length here. Do you do you think that USC, flawed as they might be, is going to be able to continue to play with fire over the course of the next, let's say, four, five, six weeks? Yeah, it's going to cost them a game or two, though. But this is just going to be who who USC is. Like They're not a serious contender. No. They are not a serious playoff contender. They are not a, a national championship contender. They are not showing the quality, the form, uh, or the consistency of those teams that we should see by the time we hit mid-October in terms of what they are able to do. Correct. And and that doesn't mean they can't win the Pac-12 or they can't get to the playoff. It just means that if they do, they will be the duck. They will be the team that gets crushed by the number one seed in the first round because defensively they won't be able to get enough stops, but offensively they might be able to keep it respectable. It's, it's just who they are. Like Caleb is doing crazy Caleb stuff, but at some point, he's going to pay the price for having to freelance way too much defensively. They cannot get stopped. I mean, Arizona is a good team. Like I, I don't want to completely disparage the Wildcats. I think, you know, having Fafita in there over JDL is an upgrade. He doesn't do stupid things and he allows Arizona to play more of the style that Jed fish is wanting to, where it's like, you know, don't be dumb. Keep yourself in the game. Give yourself a chance. He is giving them that. So I don't think, USC needing triple overtime to beat them is as bad as the Arizona State game the week before was. I think that is far and away the worst performance for the Trojans in the Arizona game was. Yeah, I first of all, I totally agree with you on Fafita. Uh, now, he did do some stupid things against Washington. Like, like He had, I think, three drop picks, but he had cleaned it up, was pretty decisive against USC. I, I don't think I would give Delora his job back. No. And I would just roll with, with, with Fafita if you're Jed Fish. USC, yeah, I so far, they've just played largely poor defense. I mean, they have a couple quarters of okay defense, but 
we're not saying that about any other contender, right? Think about it. Like, oh, they have a couple quarters of okay defense. Like, that's that's a knock on anybody. It should be a knock on them as well. There is some chance that they have been holding back some stuff on offense. Like, they're running the same stuff over and over again, and they've basically played like a six-game preseason. You know, like they they run a couple of the same RPOs over and over again. I have to imagine that they work other stuff in, in practice that they haven't had to show through the first six weeks. Now, you could argue they probably needed some of it uh, on Saturday night against Arizona, and they they ran that swing. Did you guys see the, the winning two-point conversion? Yes. Yeah, that, like crazy swinging gate play they ran. I mean, that's that's a choice, uh, but but Caleb <laughs> is, is that good. Uh, I, I mean – Without Caleb Williams, this is a seven and five team. USC is seven and five. Yeah, they have a replacement level power five quarterback. Yeah, Yeah. same as last year. They would lose five games with Miller Moss easy. They would have been the same last year. Here's the problem: Lincoln Riley was brought out to LA. Didn't they want Oklahoma's success? Like they wanted the record, right? They wanted Oklahoma's success. They're getting it, and it's the exact same way. The issue I think you run into in that league right now. Is in the Big 12, it kind of worked, right? You can get into wild, wacky shootouts. Like, that's kind of what everybody wanted to see. In the Pac-12, you're going to go against more physical teams. Look at UCLA, what they're doing. Oregon, Washington, Utah, who's giving them fits. Like, it's not – you're not all playing kind of basketball on grass. You're still playing basketball on grass, but the other teams are playing football. And that's a problem for them. And until he addresses it, I think it's just his, men- his makeup, his mindset is – we're going to have an incredible offense and we're going to put up a ton of points. And it's hard to believe, though, because I do think they wanted to address it. I mean, they brought in Bear Alexander. They backed up the truck for him. They brought in a bunch of transfers. They're just not very good on the defense side of the ball. I have another upon further review from this game. Mm-hmm. After the show, I went and I watched the end of this game in bed. So laying in bed, watching it on the laptop with Lynn. And Lynn has something in common with Jed Fish in that both of them were wondering what the overtime rules were. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you didn't watch this game, at the start of the second overtime, Arizona (laughs) got the ball last in the first one or first. They got the ball. They scored a touchdown. And they sent out their kicking team, not realizing that at that point you have to go for two. And there's a sideline shot of Jed Fish talking to the ref, and you can read his lips, and he says, I thought that wasn't until the third overtime. So they had to, I mean, they had a timeout, but they had to call a timeout so they could send in their offense to run a two point play. Uh, it was not a great week for coaches, no. like as far as public perception of high IQ individuals. I mean, what Mario did, what they, Jimbo's lack of awareness, I thought Sark clammed up. That would be my, from upon further review from the weekend. If you want to be aggressive, great, but stay aggressive. Like I thought Sark save the game with the fake punt call early. That that game looked like they were going to get run. Calls the fake punt, opens up the offense. It works. But then the last one to play for the last field goal, like you better make sure it's the last play of the game. If you're going to play it like that and play it tentative, I don't understand why you didn't go the way that was the game was unfolding, why you didn't go for seven, stay more aggressive, take some shots at the end zone. Then if they don't work, then settle for the field goal. That didn't work. AM, you guys talked about that a lot. The other one was Maryland. I texted you guys during that game. Before the half sequences for Texas AM with Jimbo not using a timeout, being content to just go in at halftime. Oh, we're good. We had a pretty good half. Like 
not to try to get extra points there. And then Maryland had a chance to get points too. Now that one, that was just clock mismanagement. They called a you know a play, a pass play. It was completed inbounds. That could have turned the complexion because they would have been up 20 potentially, or 20 to 10, as opposed to they come out, they score the opening drive. Like they could have really had Ohio State reeling. They let them off the hook. Like there was some coaching blunders from this weekend that were inexcusable. I love uh, my buddy Jamie texted me this. He said, if if this happened in business or government or like any other sector of life, people would be screaming conspiracy theories and trying to like launch investigations. But in college sports, it's like, no, the multimillionaire, multimillionaire just made a big uh-oh. <laughs> and we move daisy. on yeah well, big whoopsie daisy <laughs> on the sideline from your leader this is this is nothing other than incompetence at in a lot of these level. jobs the most important part is rec- at least the jobs for the games we watch the most the really big teams the teams that can win a national title the most important part of your job is recruiting there's nothing about being a good recruiter that automatically makes you a good game manager right mario and- jimbo at uh, uh, like you're a good recruiter. You're not good at managing a game. It, they're, like the skill sets don't have to overlap. You would hope that eventually, because you coached for a while, they would. Last point on the Jed Fish thing. Major mistake to not go for two. Yep. Yes. In regulation. Or after you, after the first after, overtime. After you after the first overtime. Like, what are you doing? You have first of all, the, the odds that you're gonna have to go for two and make the two to win the football game are extremely high. If you decide to go for two right there, it puts immense like guys, what what, what are you doing? Like you're you don't want to have to defend Caleb Williams again. They I was never like, stopped him. Yeah, I was just like, end it, please. Yeah, I don't I can't just please, please just end this. Win or lose. Yeah. When you are the worst team, extending the game for longer is never in your best interests. Agree. You know, the last thing too on the coaches, that's traditionally always what it's been, but it's changing. Like there's more parity. Now, with like you can have a wing that's going to pay your squad, like you need a coach who knows how to manage the game because that's going to take even more precedent. That's why, anytime there's a debate about Saban or Belichick, like it's Belichick's the better coach, not even close because he doesn't have an advantage, you know, 12 times out of 12 in most cases. You know, it's very neutral in the NFL and it's becoming more like that. So, you need somebody who knows how to handle those game day game day situations if if any coach out there would like to hire somebody to be their timeout and clock management assistant i will do it for 750 grand a year just call me <laughs> it's probably cheaper it, than some of the guys on the staff that are getting that responsibility it all it's also more damning now um because there are more coaches who are getting it right than ever before i mean look, look at it like a lot a lot of these these younger coaches they understand the math of it you know lanning gets it kiffin gets it Norvell gets it. Uh, Saban actually has become much, much better at this. I don't know that Kirby is like amazing at it, but he's definitely not a negative, right? Like uh, going forward in your own end, understanding how to correctly value each possession, understanding how to play a two for one situation to borrow a basketball term at the end of the half. If you are still a dinosaur, the mistakes you're making with the clock management and the fourth down and punt kick decisions, they're more harmful when the opponent is not turnabout making the same mistakes they're magnified more because they're not giving it back to you with this win probability loss stuff your your like your mistakes are worse now than they were 10 years ago coming up on the other side more of our upon further review including in alabama for as much as we have dragged that team over the coals 
still looking pretty elite, especially on one side of the ball. We'll get into that and more next. Yeah, and as much as we think of him as a knuckle dragger, I I don't know about we, I don't want to speak for y'all, but we think about Kirby Smart and like the big dumb football terms. I would put him on the like more cutting edge, understanding, mm-hmm. you know, how, how to be able to manage a game. Uh, positive notes for that, uh, especially in big stages. All right, bud, got a chance to, uh, you know, we, we dug in on Alabama a good bit in the Texas A&M game. What else has stood out as you've gone back to, uh, to look at the Tide's big win in College Station? So we, we talked all week about how good AM's front was at getting pressure and how they had 15 tackles for loss. I got to say, like in non-blitz situations, nicely done by Alabama's offensive line. Like they actually made AM come up and, and bring extra rushers, which I, I was not anticipating. So better job by Alabama's offensive line and, and overall pass protection scheme as a whole uh, than I thought they would do down there in Kyle Field. So good job, Alabama. Uh, and I mean... Bama's D-line outshined A&M's D-line, right? They were just better on the day. They they won. They, they beat them up up front more. They won more individual matchups. So uh, line of scrimmage, Bama kind of sunned them. So, so can't run the damn ball, though. Like, they were good no, at that. That is true. But running the ball, they get no push. They need, to, they need to hit the squat rack a little more. Get Jalen Hurts back there to show him proper form. Tanner uh, asked, he jumped in before we got started, do y'all think Clemson would beat Alabama if they played in neutral tomorrow? Mm. Would or could? Because could, for sure, yeah. Like, but that, Would like, I have Bama favored? Yeah. yeah. But would it be by a touchdown? No. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It'd be like a 55-45 proposition. So, yeah, Clemson would could yeah. beat Alabama for sure. Alabama... Or when we were talking about taking them seriously, what what's the Alabama path to the playoff, and how seriously are you taking it? Obviously, it's win out, beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. But how? So Tennessee and LSU are going to be coming to Tuscaloosa. The Auburn game at the end of the season is on the plains, and then of course you would have to stack Alabama up against Georgia in Atlanta. How how seriously do you take that? Uh, the potential of Nick Saban making it back to the playoff? I I am not worried about Tennessee and Auburn. Like uh, Auburn, okay, Iron Bowl, weird things happen, maybe. But I'm not worried about Tennessee. I think LSU could be a tougher test for them simply because if LSU is able to put points on the board, I don't know if I trust this Alabama offense to be able to keep up, even against this LSU secondary, because Jalen Milrow, I mean, he he made some great throws against Texas A&M. It was probably his best game as a passer that we have seen. So maybe against that LSU secondary, he hits those throws. But we've also seen him miss a lot of those throws. So it's like, how accurate is he that day? I think is what it's going to come down to for the Tide in that one. But I do think that, yeah, like, they're probably going to get to Atlanta. Can they beat Georgia? They can beat the Georgia team that we saw for the first month of the season. They can't beat the Georgia team we saw playing in Kentucky. Look, I'm not going to rule anything out completely with with Nick Saban. Uh, in watching the Alabama A&M game, though, I think what's, one of the things that struck me the most was just like how almost every time that we've ever covered it, an Alabama loss, it would have felt like a huge deal. And it, remember, I was thinking like, yeah, it's just kind of what they are. Now, they're, they're winning the game. They won the game. But it didn't feel like, oh, man, do we need to have an emergency podcast for this? Do we like this is this is a freak out moment. Just felt like, all right, another Bama road performance, you know, just kind of non- non-spectacular, just good. This is kind of how 
how the dynasty ends type thing. Uh, just, you know, not, not abrupt, just a consistent slide. So do I take their chances of making the playoffs seriously? Not really, but there's not like 15 teams that have better odds to make the playoff than Alabama. Sure. Like they're still alive. I, I was very much on Notre Dame once they had lost was done because I, I did not like their path. I thought the offense looked terrible. But Alabama, you can't completely write them off. I'm not that worried about them um, from a standpoint being like a – I don't think they win the SEC. I think there's a chance there's another slip-up in the regular season. Um, do you guys feel like Bama won that game or AM lost it? Jimbo lost it. And, I mean, the Jimbo and the Texas A&M staff, I thought there was a bunch of reasons why the coaching hurt them. Conservative play calling – they kept having Max Johnson drop back like seven, like either five steps from the gun, seven from under center, like deep drops, r- trying to let the play develop down the field. And I'm thinking, screaming at the TV, like, why, why do you keep calling these deep dropbacks? They are not protecting him. And they were, you know, taking advantage of it. On the flip side, I thought AM on the defense side of the ball didn't bring as many pressures in the second half. You know, there's a reason why they weren't getting home to Milrow. So I, I felt like AM lost it more than uh, Bama won it. But Bama's won like that a lot. But I just, I don't, I'm not, I still think Georgia's, you know, we were talking about Bama Clemson. Don't you think Georgia's probably a touchdown favorite? Neutral? Over Bama? Six. Yeah, yeah somewhere right in there. So um, I liked Danny, you texted this on Saturday. I, I liked the idea. Your, let's, hey, let's make Danny new Alabama offensive coordinator. All we're gonna do is just take deep shots, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, because they kept they kept throwing them in the first half, and one was like just overthrown. One was a like a good, pretty good defensive play. But as I'm watching this unfold, I'm like, well, the NBA has totally changed their landscape based on the percentages of percentage that you can make in three point shots. Like it's worth the risk. Like screw the twos. I'm like Jalen Milrow's strength isn't throwing the mid range passes. So have him chuck it deep where you don't have to connect on 60% of them, you hit on 35, 40% and they're huge plays. Like, and sure enough, like that's what we started to get more of in the second half. It's, and it's also the game of, um, the athleticism of Alabama's wide receivers is yeah. going to like create some decent opportunities down the field. You mentioned Milrose strength right there. And then you might get a flag because a defender gets beat. How many good cornerbacks are there that are going to be able to keep up the entire time? I mean, just, just go route some deep balls. It's a new Alabama <laughs> offense right there. And just right. figure out a way to, uh, to see if that can help out um, a ground game that has really, really struggled so far uh, through the first six games of the season. Going back to your question about whether Alabama won or Texas A&M lost, I think it's both. I mean, Texas A&M did hurt itself, but Alabama did make a lot of plays to win that game that Texas A&M just didn't. So I got to give them both credit. Fair. Like, yeah, totally. Um, all right, what else from the weekend uh, do we want to hit? I want to go to Red River and give a massive shout-out here uh, to a play. Everybody saw the throw uh, and the catch for Oklahoma's game-winning touchdown over Texas, Dylan Gabriel, nice job, you know, staying in the pocket, letting the route develop. I, I, I like the concept. But if we can roll tape here, what you're going to see is transfer offensive tackle Walter Rouse, number 75, left side of your screen here. They're going to show another angle. He blocks two dudes to allow Dylan Gabriel to get this pass off. Watch 75, engage, right arm, left arm, gets them both blocked up. I, I mean, that is just a phenomenal effort from Walter Rouse. Holy cow. Uh, uh, Guys, Texas defense does not stink, and that was just I, – I thought Oklahoma played with such incredible effort in this game, 
And we talk about it a lot with the hair on fire defense, but I mean, you block both dudes. Hey, bud, you got two boys. I've got two boys. I think you and I both understand one hand on each one and doing what's <laughs> to keep them at bay. Oh, I'm my God. connected to 75 on that play right there. Dude, uh, so the boys don't have school on Monday. And so Max is home with, with both of them all day. And it's, it's, it's a long day with a you know, four-year-old and a 20-month-old. And the four-year-old, she makes really good scrambled eggs. I don't even, I'm not a scrambled eggs guy. I'd rather have fried eggs. He goes, Mommy, th- these eggs aren't very good. You should just microwave them. Uh, like, <laughs> and the face he got was, was, I was like, oh man, you better have a long day. This is, this is not. And uh, I, I don't know, how, like, they, they got some immediate outside on the patio time. I was like, yeah. Just- Do you? What I would love to know was like what the coaching points were on that a lot of different perspectives like was there supposed to be an unblocked guy that gabriel's supposed to beat by getting rid of it was it the left tackle technique like to engage and then just get a piece of the free rusher just buy him another split second or was it maybe somebody missed you know maybe gabriel was supposed to get rid of it but you just picked up the scraps which would be incredible instinctual play from a left tackle like i would love to know like in the film session what the coaching points were i think somebody screwed up the protections whether it was gabriel or it was the center whoever because if you look at the very end 70 the left guard comes running over at the last second realizing like, oh, i don't, i wasn't blocking oh god and oh, it's like no. they're like trying to get in there it's like i i think maybe they were confused by what texas was doing up front and they got something they weren't expecting but i think the left guard kind of messed up and then the left tackle saved his ass the way they ran it too was kind of like a it was kind of like smash with a pick Right, like, like if yeah. you look at it, like the the, the way they freed up, it, it was that's a pretty cool little red zone play Oklahoma had there. Obviously, the protection is certainly not how to Danny's point, not how they drew it up, but yeah, that was that was wild. Yeah, um, obviously, with my Twiggy frame, I've never played offensive line, but I can't imagine there's anything more mentally devastating than looking and there's no one for you to block. Yeah, that means can, something is going horribly wrong. Ninety percent of the time, it means you've screwed up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, fine work. All right, climb to 325, race to 325. Let's do it. All right, so congrats to Iowa on the win. Unfortunately, did miss the goal by 15 points, and, and this thing is becoming like compound interest, as you may know, but everybody, everybody, every show is somebody's first. Brian Ferentz, the offense coordinator for Iowa, the son of head coach Kirk Ferentz, uh, he has to score 325 points this year, and Iowa has to win seven ball games in order for him to uh, – not be terminated for his contract. Of course, we kind of think that he's going to get rehired with some other contract because why would they ever fire him? Or he'll go off to the NFL or something. But I do have to redistribute these points, and so here is what we have now. They now go on the road October 14th at Wisconsin, 24, Minnesota, 27, at Northwestern, 35. Rutgers, they're going to need 30. Illinois, they're going to need 30. Uh, At Nebraska, 24, and then the bowl game 24. So this is getting a little tighter. It's still doable. I don't know if it's crazy doable, but it is certainly somewhat doable. Um, However, I went and watched all of Deacon Hill's throws, the quarterback who was like third or fourth string at Wisconsin. He kind of has like the frat boy. I never really expected to be put in this game (laughs) built thing going on. (laughs) Iowa did not complete a pass to a receiver on the day. They did, however, target receivers I charted uh, seven times. Here are how they went. 
the one is completely double coverage and the ball lands way out of bounds. The next throw also lands way out of bounds. The third throw is about five yards off target behind the guy, but there was no other defender there. So uh, we're, we're making some progress. The fourth is a good ball. They run little little play action half roll. Receiver gets open on the sideline, hits the receiver in the hands, pops up, picked off. Purdue takes it back. Uh, the fourth, three yards behind the receiver. Guy really wasn't open anyway. Uh, the next one, another non-competitive throw way over his head. And the final one was, uh, I wrote, not even close on the dig route. So we really only had, a, like, they targeted receivers. Is it one, two, three, four? Seven times. Seven times, and, and they really only had a chance to complete one, and unfortunately um, they hit the kid in, in the hands and it's popped beat. up in the air and was picked off. So uh, Iowa has now completed 20 passes to receivers on the season. Army has completed 34. <laughs> to, to be fair to the receiver who dropped the ball that hit him in the hands, how wobbly was the pass? <laughs> it was I mean, God, we are grading on a curve, right? Like curvy quarterback graded on a curve. Let, let's you know, like I don't trying know. to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, listen, I I would like to file my formal appeal that I won the lock fight with Chip. Purdue was the better team in that game. They just were on the wrong side of the score. It was a gross miscarriage of justice that Iowa covered that spread and Chip gets the win. Listen, when I take Iowa, like, yeah, I'll talk a lot about Deacon Hill, but it's because I've got big Coop, Cooper DeJean in my back pocket to get you all those hidden yards, right? Like, what's the success rate of Cooper DeJean saving your whole season, powering you to five and one uh, through six games? The, the most amazing, and I mean that in terms I am constantly amazed, five and one team in the country is the Iowa Hawkeyes. Did you see the touchdown? The touchdown pass? It was great. The long one? So Iowa, like they're at like the twenty-seven of Purdue, they get into a uh, three tight end, two back formation. It is just straight goal line. They've been throwing the ball to Eric All, the, the tight end transfer from Michigan, all day. Instead of having him be a tight end, they sneak him in as the fullback. Mm-hmm. Go play action, little little wheel route. He beats them both. Deacon delivers a nice ball. Which, again, Purdue's defense should be aware that they do throw the ball to running backs and fullbacks. They don't throw them to wide receivers, but they will throw to running backs, fullbacks, and tight ends. If you're playing Iowa from now on, you just need to have like a – like everybody needs to – you know how you identify the mic and the protection if you're on the offense? Everybody playing Iowa needs to like identify where's 83. Like can you please find Eric All, identify him, okay, we know pre-snap, cool. But to be real, like at least Iowa's offense does have one of those guys – and they did like, some creative stuff. Our, I, I our was... friend Mike Felder always put, he, like our friend Mike Felder got me on to like some like next level actually teaching me the game of football like 10, 12 years ago. We went to some coaching clinics together and he he talks about often and he played safety at North Carolina. He's like, if you don't have a guy that we are looking for, that means I, we just get to go run our stuff. And that is like such a huge mental advantage. At least Iowa has one of those guys that everybody has to be concerned about. Eric All, a huge pickup. Uh, for the Hawkeyes to help them continue their tradition of having phenomenal tight ends. Sorry, Tom. It's an L. L's an L. No. Mm-mm. All right. Anything else before we get out of here? I got. I got a quick one. Yeah. Upon further review, the Colorado fanboys are about the softest group of bandwagon fans I think I've ever seen in the history of social media. Because I don't even want to say college football because they haven't been around that long. 
But my goodness, one and I like I like Shador, I like Dion, I like Shiloh, but the other brother who doesn't play, who basically is their hype man, who's kind of like remember Skip uh the Bulldog and Chester the Terrier? Like he's like Chester the Terrier, like bounces around, like does all this stuff, does their social media. He's out there talking trash for him. Pretty soon he's gonna write some checks that his brothers can't cash. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but the fanboys who are too like they're so soft and sensitive. You make one joke and they are going to be so offended. Like, I guess it's okay if only one side talks trash, but if you just say one thing negative or make a joke about one thing, they are so soft. Tries what was the joke? I just put a tweet out because after he did the uh, watch celebration, you know, uh, up in the Arizona State uh, fan section, I tweeted the video and I just said, if there was a Heisman for beating one in five teams, this guy would win it. Like he's been great statistically against teams that aren't very good. And my goodness, I mean, I got Ice Cube's son coming after me. Like, what the heck is happening? Roland Martin. I don't even. I can't even keep track of the amount of fanboys who have hopped on that thing that are so sensitive. My goodness. Have a little fun. It's college football. <laughs> yeah, I, I like him going over to the student section. I, I want more of that. Like, is it hilarious that they are the level of team that they are doing that? A little bit. But, I mean, hey, they hit their they hit on some books their season over win total, three and a half. I, I think they have a pretty good shot to hit that four and a half. I'm going to need them to beat Arizona to make that bowl game yeah. so I can cash that 50 to one. Like, <laughs> Or find a way to upset Washington State, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I look, Dion says we don't talk trash. It's more like he doesn't talk trash. There's plenty of people around there who do the trash talk. Well, yeah, him, I so mean, and like it, it going, going into the Oregon game, the problem was that all the Colorado who players... Who tweeted the video of, of, of scraping up the logo? Yeah. Colorado did. <laughs> and no, was they're, it... They're was he guys he's talking about here? Yeah, the, yeah, their players are on social media, like, you know, giving it too. So, and they see it. Their peers see it. All right. Anything else? Let's get out of here. Wednesday, we will be back 11 a.m. Eastern time. Come and hang out as we do our big game breakdowns. Looking ahead to week seven. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fennell. You can follow him at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Wait to ask Dennis.